0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Ingenium Schools podcast. This is podcast number 15. Hello again, everybody. Once again, this podcast is a follow-up of the session on intrinsic motivation and behavior that was done at the Ingenium Professional Development on January 5th. I thought I'd start out by talking a little bit about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, as there were some questions that came up. Um, you can think of intrinsic motivation as anything that um, any behavior that results from internal drive or meaning, um, things that that interest us, and extrinsic motivators are um, any external factors that drive behavior. So, for example, um, grades, praise. Um, any rewards, threats of punishment, things like that. Another thing I wanted to talk about before we get uh, too far into the questions is um, a misconception that I heard, um, and I've heard many times in conversations with staff, and um, that is that the question of um, how do we motivate kids? So I like to think that we don't, we can't motivate kids, we can only demotivate them. And um, I'll Tell a, I guess, a story or um, that I think will illustrate that. So, let's say you have a student in your class that um, doesn't isn't interested in reading. So, anytime it's reading time, they either uh, shut down, um, behavior, challenging behavior spike. Um, but uh, whatever they do, they just they're not reading, and you get frustrated, and so you resort to thinking about, okay, how am I going to motivate them to read? So. Is it gonna be some kind of a token economy? Is it gonna be um, writing their name on the board? Is it going to be um, uh, giving them um, extra time with the teacher if they read certain number of pages, whatever? So what you need to think about in this situation is who's motivated. So even if the kid does read um, based off of the threat of some punishment or um, a reward that you're giving them, Who's motivated, you or the student? So in this situation, you would be the one that's motivated for them to read. Because as soon as you take the reward or threat of punishment away, they're most likely to go back to the behavior that they did before. So if we can't motivate kids, then what do we do? So what we can do is we can create intrinsically motivating environments. And um, I hope through answering some of the questions today that Um, you'll get an idea of how you might start creating an intrinsically motivating environment. But here at Ingenium, we operate on the idea that there are five components to creating an intrinsically motivating environment. Um, They are control, challenge, cooperation, meaning, and support. So ensuring that kids have a high degree of control in their learning environment Um, That means a lot of choice, autonomy in um, how the class is run, decisions that are made, um, how much work I do, um, when I do it, um, things like that. Also challenge, and we call this also like um, the proximal zone of development. So when things are too challenging, oftentimes you see behavior um, spike. When things are not challenging enough, you see behavior spike. Um, So when you get into that flow, that place where it's optimally challenging for students, you see them, um, um, they become more intrinsically motivated and enjoy what they're doing more. Also opportunities for cooperation. So anytime kids get to work together on something that's meaningful and challenging and they have some choice in it, um, that's also a component. Um, And I, I reference meaning. But anytime you can help kids develop meaning for why they're doing what they're doing, Um, and connect it to something relevant and near-term, because not all second and third graders are thinking about going to college yet, Um, you're going to get a higher level of intrinsic motivation and enjoyment. Um, And then the last one is support. So making sure that you have systems of support in place. And it doesn't all have to come from you, the teacher. Um, You can set up processes and structures in your classroom um, for kids to support each other through um, kids leading small groups or peer mentoring um, or peer feedback. Okay, so let's jump into some of the questions and concerns that were brought up at the behavior and intrinsic motivation session back in uh, the first part of January. So for those of you that weren't there, these questions were generated using an affinity diagram electronically um, in lucid charts. So we had a group of about 20 to 30 people um, generating one question or concern on a virtual sticky note and um, then continuing that process. And then once we had generated about, oh, I'd say maybe 20, 15 to 20 um, questions or concerns on different sticky notes, the group organized them into affinities and then used a multi-voting tool to um, prioritize the categories that they wanted to talk about. And the top category that people were interested in discussing was system-wide approach and consequences. So um, before we jump into each of the individual questions, I want to provide a clarification around a system or a system-wide approach. A system-wide approach is not a list of actions and reactions. So it's not a, um, it's, it's not a, a list of ty- different types of behaviors that a student might exhibit that are not in line with the expectations of the classroom or the school and what things are going to happen to them if they do those. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a system of supports And um, integrating um, classroom supports with school-wide supports, um, using data to determine when something arises to the level of needing administration support, and knowing uh, if things are getting better or not. When we refer to a system, we're also talking about um, creating some common practices among all classrooms so that... All students are um, getting exposure to certain, I guess you could call them tier one or basic levels of support like social emotional learning, um, uh, classroom meetings um, or huddles, processes for kids to de-escalate on their own or with some teacher intervention um, that all, all classrooms are using. It also includes operationally defining things um, like particular behaviors or um, clear processes for when does administration get involved, when do parents get notified, who should call parents, etc. The other thing is that it's grounded in the idea that life is contextual. So you hear us say, it depends a lot around here. In fact, one of the questions that came up on the uh, affinity sticky note process that we used to generate questions and concerns was, how does It Depends set students up for success in the long run? So the answer to that question is that when kids become adults, and even while they're kids, they're presented w- with situations um, where they have to think. Um, there are not always clear answers like, If this happens, I do this. If that happens, I do this. We want our kids to leave our schools being able to think creatively, to be flexible, innovative, and that only happens if we teach them to think now. And what better time to get them thinking than if they're having some challenging behaviors and they're having trouble navigating um, the classroom environment? All right, let's jump into some more specific questions and concerns that came up. Um, So we're still working in the category of system-wide approach and consequences that the group there came up with. Uh, First one is, are clip charts considered extrinsic? Also, names on the board tracking who may lose a privilege. So if you go back to what I said in the beginning about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivators, Anything that comes that tries to change behavior that comes from outside would be an extrinsic motivator. So, one of the other things we're trying to do here at Ingenium is to reduce fear and drive it out of the organization, out of the classroom, out of schools, because the brain learns best in a relaxed state. So, anytime you have things in your classroom or in our schools that Pose a threat to staff or students, you're going to see a reduction in motivation. So the short answer is yes. Clip charts would be considered an extrinsic motivator. Um, you have kids that could be embarrassed by having their name written on the wall or on the board, um, embarrassed by having their um, having their name or their their clip moved down. So. Those are all things that come from outside of the student to get them to change their behavior. All right, the next question, is there a systemic school approach that we should attempt when trying to determine appropriate next steps for unpreferred behaviors? Yes, uh, exactly what that is. Uh, it was may be difficult to define at the moment we're, since we're kind of going through a transition as an organization around this idea of um, extrinsic to intrinsic motivating motivated environments. But in general, the approach that we want is we want to have fair, planned, respectful responses to students when they have challenging behaviors. Uh, in general, We also want to have good data systems in place so that we know when a student's behaviors become consistently challenging so that we can start looking at additional supports to put in place. When I talk about planned responses, we're looking at defining processes that we use because we can predict that certain behaviors are going to happen in our schools and in our classrooms. So we know that kids are gonna struggle with the learning environment for reasons that could be attributed to the way that we're managing our classroom or our school or could be attributed to trauma that's happened inside, outside the home, whatever. But we do know, based off of our experience, that certain things are going to happen. So as a whole school and as a whole system, we sit down and we talk about what are the behaviors that we see most often and what are our current approaches to dealing with those and are those in line with our philosophy as an organization. So there's a couple options when you sit down and have that conversation. One would be we don't have a process, so the next step would be to develop one. And that could be, you know, uh, an example might be when a a student blurts out consistently in classroom. So you know that's going to happen. There's some kids that struggle with self-control. So what is a fair, respectful, um, uh, planned response for when that happens that we can use system-wide? The second option is that we do have a process, but we're not following it. So the next step there would be to make sure everybody understands what the process is and follow it and try it and study it and see if it's working, collect some data. If it's not, fix it. If it is, great, keep doing it. Um, The third uh, option there would be that when we sit down and look at um, uh, processes would be that we have a process, we're following it, and it's not resulting in the outcome that we'd like. So your next step there would be to go back and um, study that process and figure out where it could be improved and improve it and try it. That's kind of a broad answer to the question of um, is there a systemic school approach we should attempt when trying to determine appropriate next steps for unpreferred behaviors and, All right, next question in the category of system-wide approach and consequences is, will there be an ingenium-wide behavior management plan to respond to special causes? The short answer to that is yes, but um, it's not going to be something that's um, a simple if-then. So like if a student does this, then this is going to happen. What it will be is a, an, an elevated level of support, getting more and more people involved, the more special that um, student seems to be, based off of data that we've collected and other interventions and support that we've tried to give the student. I know kids with consistently challenging behaviors can be extremely frustrating to deal with and to figure out how to help. Um, and I know what it, it, it makes us want quick um, answers that we can or quick solutions that we can just kind of prescribe and make the behavior get better. Um, but what, we're, what we know about brain research is that we need to really think about the fact that we're trying to rewire students' brains. And that doesn't happen with a pill or a simple consequence or the promise of a reward. It happens through um, conversations, learning, and it takes time. Um, and I get that that's frustrating. But what we're trying to do is to be fair, not equal. So when a student has some consistently challenging behaviors, they're probably lacking some skills or have some unresolved problems. And we need to work with them to solve those problems and help them develop the skills that they need to be successful in the situations that their challenging behaviors are showing up. And there's no one-size-fits-all solution to that, so it requires some thinking, but it also requires the student to do some thinking, which is exactly what we want, as I alluded to earlier, where um, when answering the question about the theory of it depends, setting students up for success, they need to be involved in the process of changing their behavior and owning it and seeing how it impacts other people and seeing how it impacts them and trying solutions and having them not work and reflecting on why that didn't work and trying to come up with something different and seeing how that's working. Um, but if they're never Im- involved in that, we talk about the um, those five components of an intrinsically motivating environment. They have zero control over the change in their behavior. So if we just take that over and we sit around in meetings with other adults and decide why we think this behavior is happening and what we're going to do about it and what we're going to have the kid do about it, they have no control over that. And, you know, I see some questions about a lack of accountability for students. I would say that this system holds kids more accountable. I don't see how a kid has any accountability with a group of, of adults sitting around deciding what the next steps are going to be for the student. So when we involve the student in that process, especially students with very special cause behavior or consistently challenging behaviors, they get more control over that and they're accountable for their behavior. Okay, another question, can we get a list of logical consequences? Most logical consequences I have seen are actually extrinsic rewards given in an effort to build relationships, in quotes, and many students on our campus take advantage of that. So um, a quick clarification, we often throw the term around, and I I think I did it just earlier, of consequences as something that happens to somebody uh, or something that we do or something that happens to a student after They have um, a behavior not in line with our code of cooperation or the expectations. So really a consequence is just what happens after something else. So a consequence can be good or bad. Um, Where we get into extrinsic is when we, the adult, impose the consequence in order to try to change the behavior. And logical is kind of a a buzzword with consequences um, to help us try to feel better that we're connecting the consequence to the behavior more. Really, the, what we want to look at is what are some of the natural consequences for the behaviors and help children see the natural consequences for um, the behavior that they're engaging in. So the, the short answer is no, we're not necessarily going to provide a list of, of logical consequences because we really want to have a fair planned response to student behavior, or if, you know, if the behavior is unexpected, we still want our response to be to be fair. And um, oftentimes when lists are provided to us, we tend to, um, and I'm guilty of it too, but we tend to just gravitate towards, you know, oh, I'm going to pick this one or that one because it doesn't require me to think. It doesn't require me to take the time to sit down and have the conversation with the student. Um, It doesn't take um, um, as much effort to try to figure out how am I going to make time, or talk to my administrator about how to make time for having a conversation with the student, or figuring out what to do. Um, So, But um, there may be opportunities for the creation of lists or um, types of things that we could do but we're I, I'm hesitant to to just give um, a specific list of logical consequences um, especially since we want to try to work with kids to understand some of the natural consequences of the behaviors that they choose all right um, one more question in this one and then the others are kind of repeats of some of the other questions that we've talked about but What are strategies to positively motivate special cause students without the use of consequences while still giving the time necessary to other students? So this is kind of connects to the question about a system-wide approach. This is really what it takes to, um, to be able to attack these situations. So you have to have time available to sit down and have a conversation with a student and help them work with them to solve a problem. And, you know, as a teacher, you're on all day, every day, um, working with all, trying to work with all students. And it's tough to be able to just stop and, you know, sit down and have a 20 or 30 minute conversation with a student to um, help them problem solve, whatever that behavior is. So from a, you know, if you back up and look at from a system-wide approach, one of the ways that um, so I guess the, the best answer is that it's hard to do that by yourself. As a teacher, you can't really um, unless you know you've got students working on something and you can you can pull away a little bit and, and have a conversation with a student. But what we want to do is try to create structures and processes to allow for teachers to have those conversations with students. Um, and although administration and deans, things like that, would support, really the the most important relationship for that student is their teacher, and so we want to create space for for teachers to be able to have those conversations. So the um, and and then the best way to go about that that I've seen uh, is um, to to think about really prioritizing with students. So a student that you would. "Quote-unquote" call special cause because, you know, their behavior is either so egregious or so consistently challenging, it rises above that of everybody else in the class in the school. Is um, you you probably can't solve, and they they probably can't handle solving all of the problems that they have and developing all the skills that they need at once. And so, as a team of adults, if you can sit down and Start to think about okay, what are the different types of problems we're seeing with this student, and what skills might lacking, lagging skills might those be associated with? Um, And then determine together if we were going to pick, you know, one, two, or three of these problems, unsolved problems that this student is having, um, what would they be? And then once you've decided that, going to the student, working with them to try to figure out some solutions, and maybe we can get into the specifics of that more in another podcast. Um, But Ross Green has a great approach to that um, in collaborative and proactive solutions. And we're actually taking a team of about 10 to 15 staff up to Portland um, with a grant that we received to learn more about that process um, to help work with those students that exhibit some really consistently challenging behaviors. listening to today's podcast again this was just part one in a two-part series on a follow-up of the january 5th session on intrinsic motivation and behavior Uh, part two will be coming out shortly thank you